but it's all one story, and so it's hard to find a, a place to stop and to start. This morning, we celebrate an event that has not changed in 2,000 years. We have no new information since the last time we heard this story. And uh, if we've all heard this story before, how do we listen to a sermon again without a been there, done that attitude? Some of you even have the t-shirt. My hope is that while the story has not changed, that today you will allow the story to change us. I found that we have been con- conditioned by crafted talking points, those who maintain the party line, those who only deliver a unified messaging, so that we may sometimes have difficulty separating fact from fiction. I saw a report recently that public opinion in Russia regarding Putin is actually on the rise because the people are consistently hearing the talking point that Russia is simply in Ukraine to rescue the citizens from a tyrant. Not unlike the messaging that we received when our military went to Iraq just a few years ago, to deliver the people from Saddam Hussein. And since that's the message that the people are hearing, they think their president is their hero. We live in an age of spin, so how do we separate truth from fake news? One test is the extent to which people will go to defend their proposition. When I was only four years old, Richard Nixon became president of our country. And my friend, dirty politics is nothing new. Office break-ins and illegal recordings became a scandal named for the building that was breached. It was the first gate scandal. Watergate. And as a nine-year-old, you can be sure I, I understood everything that was happening. But I have come to find that one of the most famous characters in that scandal was a presidential aide by the name of Charles Colson. Between the break-in and entering prison following a guilty plea, Colson accepted the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And Colson later would write, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, 
tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. And they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Now, personal testimonials like that from Colson have varying degrees of influence on others. Every one of us has been urged to try a product recommended by a friend or a neighbor. But very few, if any, of those friends would defend a lie about that idea or about that product to their death. But the death and resurrection of Christ wasn't only a claim that was made by Jesus' followers. It was an event that even changed the dissenters. And we're going to find today that one of those dissenters, one of those who denied the resurrection, was a man by the name of Saul. But he came to believe in the resurrection, and when he believed in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, it changed him. Not only his afterlife, it changed him in the present life. And my goal this morning is that we would allow the truth and the power of the, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to change us right here, right now, in this life. See, the resurrection transformed Paul. I recently concluded reading through the book of Acts in my personal Bible reading, and in that reading I was reminded of the significant life change that happened in one man who shifted from denying the resurrection to embracing it. See, this transformation that happened in Paul, it transformed him from being corrupt to being called. Before Saul believed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he was described as ravaging and imprisoning men and women simply for their faith. Acts chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. But after he came to believe the resurrection... Paul's life took on a whole new direction. From being this corrupt man, he was called to a new message that we see in Acts chapter 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Saul went from being a corrupt persecutor of the church to one called by God to carry forth a message. Now, don't allow the name Saul and Paul to confuse you at this point. 
I, it, it's simply a, a change of language. I have a very dear friend that I went to college with, a man by the name of Tim Nelson, born and raised in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. But he does ministry in Central America. And so the man that I know as Tim, whenever he is in Honduras or Costa Rica, he is known as Timoteo. The same man, two different names. And the same way, Saul and Paul is simply the same name in two different languages. And as Saul, who was a Jew, was sent to the Gentiles, he adopted the P for the Saul. See, the spelling and pronunciation of his name is not the point of the story. The point of the story is that the man went through a complete metamorphosis. Just as a ground-bound caterpillar turns into an airborne butterfly, Saul was transformed from an angry, violent man who persecuted Christians to a man who traveled throughout the region, imploring people to believe that the resurrected Savior is worthy of their devotion. He didn't only go from corrupt to called, he also went from being in a precarious situation to a protected situation. As a matter of fact, I see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. I can't help but to see the similarities between the way that the Jewish leaders treated Jesus and the way that they are treating Paul. See, they get the sentence, and then they try to create the case. They've decided he needs to die. Now let's see if we can manufacture a case so that the government will do this for us. But just as in Jesus' situation, the religious leaders could not interfere with God's plan. And so from being in a precarious situation, he was actually protected by God, as we see in Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, to Saul, Go! For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He was a man who had a protected um, situation because God protected him. He was no longer precarious. He went from being ornery to being saved. He went from being precarious to being protected. He also went from being damned in the literal meaning of the word to being one who was determined. Unfortunately, many people misunderstand religious writings. And when people misunderstand religious writings, we jump to the wrong conclusions and the applications. Our own national history is littered by people who misread the Bible. And they used it to justify the dehumanizing slavery of fellow image bearers. Similarly, many in Jesus' day, including Saul, misread the prophets. And because they misread the prophets, 
they were actually condemned by their application, even if they refused to admit it. Acts 13, 27. For those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets. They misread what the prophets said, which are read every Sabbath. So they actually fulfilled the writings by condemning Jesus. This misunderstanding of the prophets is what Paul addresses in Romans 3.28. He says, For now, after he came to believe the resurrection, he says, Now we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. As long as he depended upon keeping the law, he was condemned, he was damned. But when he became a man of faith in the resurrection... He was declared righteous. When Paul came to understand that human good deeds is not the basis of salvation, he became determined to spread a new message. And his new message is found in Acts chapter 13, verse 30. Simply this, God raised him, Jesus, from the dead. From depending on his own good works, he becomes determined to spread a new message. And the message we need to hear today is that God raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus transformed Paul into an ambassador for Christ. And when he became a witness, his demeanor changed from hostility and anger because the resurrection power brings hope. And the resurrection power that brings hope to us is the story in the scripture that was read in Acts chapter 27. Because Paul believed in the resurrection, he had hope even though he was amidst a shipwreck. Because actually Paul moves in Acts chapter 27 from being a prisoner to being a man who delivers a promise. The very first verse of today's scripture reading. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort. Even though Paul was not yet condemned, he was accused and he was in custody. Paul considered himself already to be dead to his own purposes. He was bought by and fully belonging to God for God's purposes. So while they considered him a prisoner, he considered himself an ambassador. What hope does one have when he is condemned to die? I understand there is a phrase that's called out whenever death row inmates are relocated. And when a death row inmate is moved from one cell to another, they cry out, Dead man walking! Dead man walking! And I understand that this is meant to be a call for increased awareness. Because a man who's already condemned to die has nothing to lose by attempting something outrageous. 
And because Paul was already a dead man walking, he had nothing to lose by attempting an outrageous proclamation that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Paul's custody did not prevent him from proclaiming hope to those who were around him. From being a prisoner, he offers them a promise. He actually tells those on the ship that is being wrecked by a storm, he says, folks, not, not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And for those who have hair, that's quite a promise. And Paul can make this bold promise in verse 34 because the resurrected God had called him to a purpose. I read the quote this week that was, I saw it attributed to Warren Wiersbe, and it's been attributed to many other preachers since then, where Wiersbe writes, Believers are immortal in the will of God until their work is done. Out of the will of God, there is danger. But in the will of God, there is a divine protection that gives us peace in our hearts, no matter how trying life may be. Paul went from a prisoner to one who delivered a promise. And the promise is true for every one of us. As long as we are in the center of God's will, we are immortal. Nothing can defeat us from God's purpose. But he didn't only go from prisoner to promise. Paul also, in, in Acts 27, went from being empty to being satisfied. See, Paul and the other prisoners are traveling on the ship, and the entire crew is scared that they will not survive the storm. They had jettisoned all of their supplies in an attempt to survive, and the only cargo left on the ship is the grain that belonged to the king. The crew is empty. They're running on fumes. But Paul encourages them to take something to eat. Paul says in verse 33, As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all, Take some food. Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food. You have taken nothing. See, Paul has had his values transformed by the resurrection. Paul realizes that people are more important than property. And because he is a messenger of the resurrected Christ who appeared to him in verses 23 through 25, he has promised there will be no loss of life. So he says, folks, you might as well eat the grain. You're not going to die. However, the ship is going to be destroyed. If the ship's going to be destroyed, the grain's going to be destroyed, you might as well have a good meal before it is destroyed, correct? Paul encourages them to change their current condition. He says, therefore, I urge you, take some food, and it will give you strength, for not a hair is going to perish. After a good meal, then, we read in verse 41 that the grain was jettisoned. And it's no, no loss to throw the grain overboard because the ship itself is destroyed in verse 41. 
See, the crew went from being empty to being satisfied. And Paul went from being in a storm to in a place of safety. An experienced captain who presumably had had made this trek before is hauling grain from Egypt to Rome. And this captain finds himself and the crew and the passengers blown by a false storm significantly off course. Now, before the scripture was read, how many of you knew where Fair Havens Crete is located? That's what I thought. I didn't know either. So maybe we can get a little bit of a, a bearings that make sense for us. Actually, in this story, what happens is they are in Fair Havens, which is about... Is this going to write for me? Right there? All right, they're about there, which is Fort Fair Havens. <laughs> Looks kind of fair, doesn't it? And from there, the captain wants to sail up to this point. But a nor'easter is coming, and so the winds blow this way, and instead of going along the, uh, the coast, they get blown to this little island that is right here. So instead of going this way, they went straight west, and they find themselves wondering, what are we going to do here? And Paul says, get yourself a good meal. The ship's about to be destroyed, but we are going to be safe. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, uh, tells us that they were moving along. They couldn't face the wind, so they just gave way. They allowed the wind to move them from the safe coast over to the island. And as they were driven along, verses 43 through 44 then describes how some of them tried to swim for shore, some floated on pieces of the ship, but we actually see in verse 44, some of them rested on planks or on pieces of the ship, but so it was that all were brought safely to land. From being in a storm where they didn't know if they were going to survive, Paul says, I've seen the power of the resurrection, and God has told me we're all going to survive. Some of you are going to swim, some of you are going to float, but we're all going to survive. So the question for us today is, how do Paul's adventures in Acts chapter 27 relate to us? Because I don't know any of us who are going to go on a um, cargo vessel this week. I think Paul's story influences us because the same resurrection Easter hope that transformed Paul, Easter hope transforms us. It transforms us so that we can move from crisis to hope. We can have hope in this world. Because Psalm 13, Psalm 33 verse 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. 
If we have the hope of the resurrection, we have the confidence that God's eye is on us, even if there is crisis all around us. Down by three, 75 yards from the goal line, and 13 seconds on the clock. Two plays later, overtime and an eventual eventual win. Some of you remember that game. Others will remember, down by 15 in the national championship two weeks ago. And since I know that university loyalties are strong in these parts, I won't divide us anymore by mentioning the name of that school. But if you are a fan, you know who I'm talking about. You know what it means to move from crisis to hope. And no matter what crisis we may face in this life, the death-conquering resurrection gives us reason to hope. If fans can trust a team with 13 seconds, if fans can trust a team who is down by 15, we can trust God amidst the crisis of this world around us. We move from crisis to hope because of the power of the resurrection. We also move from despair to faith because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. We see the price tags. We pray for our friends with COVID and we are tempted to despair. And many around us have reason for despair. A virus, political strife, economy and supply chain struggles, relationships that are hanging on by a thread, war and gangs showing their tyranny, forcing thousands to become refugees. These are very real experiences, and they leave people around us gasping for something positive. And I'm here to tell you that something positive is the reality of an empty tomb on a Sunday morning. And the reality of that empty tomb means we have a reason to exchange despair for faith. And from being people of faith, that moves us to life. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says, For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We don't only have faith that we will go to heaven after death. We have faith that gives us hope each moment of each day now. When we're putting that $3.75 gasoline into our tank, we have reason to hope, not to despair. When we have faith that Jesus did what the Bible says he did, and we have faith that God will do what he promises to do, we live with faith, we live with hope, and we live filled with love. When our future, 
Our eternal life is secure. Our current earthly life is better. I'm not promising you that in this pilgrimage it will be a bed of roses. But on the authority of God's word, I can attest that the peace of God that surpasses all logic will guard your hearts and your minds when you allow belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to replace the despair of humanity. I hope you believe in the truth of the resurrection. My prayer is that your hope is in the Lord, not in the circumstances that surround us. I invite you to stand with me as we sing a song of response that indeed says, My hope 